Hello, we are the Edgy Futurists. I'm Dan Fitzpatrick. I'm Ben Whitaker. And I'm Stephen Hope. The podcast by educators for educators, the Edgy Futurist Podcast. You can get in contact on Twitter at Edgy Futurists. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Edgy Futurists. Check out the website, www.edgyfuturist.com or email us, edgyfuturists at gmail.com. You can also check out our most recent podcast. We've got a two-part from Matt Wagner, the president and CEO of EdTech Team. Got Richard Walls discussing education in Sweden. We've also got ICT evangelist Mark Anderson chatting everything edtech. Check out the Vault, our additional podcast where we review tools, resources, and tech. Episode number five was Equatio, but we've also reviewed Screencastify, Wakelet, Pear Deck, loads of other things. Go to www.edufuturist.com forward slash podcast. Every week we are producing blogs, uh, three blogs a week. Uh, go and check them out. We've got loads of content that we hope is helping teachers and leaders across the world. Everything from taking a school through a transition to the G Suite. We've got one on using Canva for design and also a series on building a culture of openness. Check them out. You can sign up for the newsletter on the homepage of the website, edufuturist.com. We always like to start the podcast with some facts or stats, and uh, our guest today is Jake Miller, so we thought we'd talk about some of the things that are going to be coming up today. Um, So, boys, podcasts. Um, We know that Jake runs a podcast. We are keen on podcasts, big podcast listeners. Apparently, 80% of podcast listeners around the world listen every week and listen to an average of seven podcasts per week, which I think that's quite impressive, quite loyal, whatever else, and a and in terms of where they listen to it, 49% listen at home, 22% listen in the car, 11% at work, and 4% while they're working out, which I always think is quite interesting. Um, listening to a podcast while you're working out, I prefer to listen to techno. Mike, that's going to cover uh, facts about duct tape, so, <laughs> because that's the name of his podcast. <laughs> Why, Stephen? Uh, because it's the name of his podcast. So <laughs> did you know it started off as a serious solution? During World War II, the US military needed strong waterproof tape to help keep ammunition cases dry, and their take on the tape was done. They needed it, and they found something extremely, exceedingly strong, which allowed us all to rip off really easily. There's lots of problems to solve. I've got an even more amazing fact on duct tape, that since 2005, in Ohio, there's been an annual duct tape festival celebrating duct tape. It's enthusiasts. And it's wacky fun users. I didn't even know there was duct tape enthusiasts. <laughs> Stephen, nice. I, think, I think you putting together these facts officially makes you a duct tape enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I'm going to join it. I need to book on. What the duct tape? <laughs> Uh, the first ever podcast, back to podcast, first ever podcast recorded was in 2003. That's uh, 16 years ago. The term podcast was coined by the Guardian newspaper in the UK a year later in 2004. And the average age of a podcast listener is 30. So a young audience there. Okay, let's get on to today's guest, Jake Miller. Jake is a Google for Education trainer and is currently the technology integration specialist for Brady Middle School in the Orange City School District, managing the implementation of Google Apps, one-to-one Chromebooks, and Schoology. He is a member of the Lead to Learn Project core team, which was recently awarded a $750,000 grant to further the school's efforts in 21st century learning. He previously taught and co-created a middle school STEM program at Kipton or Kimpton Middle School in Ohio, obviously near the duct tape festival. Uh, prior <laughs> to that, he taught nine years of maths and science in various grades. Jake has presented 
and keynoted at many conferences. Maybe you could go yeah. visit him when you're uh, <laughs> at, at the festival, <laughs> Steve. Let's <laughs> <laughs> so all go out there. <laughs> yeah, but if uh, we need to fly over there, if we need to put anything on, stick the wings to... Oh, let's start up. Uh, that was bad. Anyway, Jake Horsey... <laughs> <laughs> Stop oh. keeping saying duct tape, you duct tape. <laughs> Jake Horsley Educational Duct Tape Weekly Podcast voted as one of the best EdTech podcasts out there by Ditch That Textbook. Each episode has a different guest with awesome ideas for using tech in a classroom, and they are jam-packed with ideas like lords in each episode. You can find him on Twitter at Jake Miller Tech. The podcast by educators, for educators, the EduFuturist podcast. So, Jake Miller, thank you uh, for joining us on the EduFuturist podcast. Uh, many of our listeners will know you as the EduGif or EduGif. By the way, which one is it? GIF, GIF? <laughs> it's, it's GIF. It's a hard G. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Defi- okay. I, I second so, that. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I, I agree, but you hear some people get it wrong, don't they? So many of our <laughs> listeners will, will know you as the EduGif guy. Can you tell us why you love GIFs and uh, how you might be using them in your edu- in education? Yeah, so I started using GIFs. Uh, it's been about two years now. And before that, I was doing a lot of screencasts. And I had access to uh, Camtasia as a screencast-making tool um, that I was making that my screencasts on. And, and screen, uh, excuse me, Camtasia is a, uh, there's a, it's, there's a price for it. It's like $200 or so. It's different for teachers and different depending on what version you're getting and, and things like that. Uh, but I was able to get it for free as a Google, uh, edu- uh, Google certified trainer. And so I was using that for my screencasts, and I was making them at school things like, you know, for people that don't have the money to use Camtasia, I think Screencastify and Screencast-O-Matic and all these are great tools. But I was using Camtasia to do this, and I started really trying to get more active online and posting things on my, my website, jakemiller.net, and on Twitter, uh, at jakemillertech, and trying to help other educators outside of the school that I work at use uh, educational technology in the classroom. So I would sit down at night, and I would make these videos on, you know, maybe how to make a Google form or how to use canned responses in Gmail or how to set up a Google Hangout or whatever it might be, whatever I thought might be beneficial to teachers. And I would come back a week or so later to that YouTube video and discover that I had like seven views, six views, five views. And and one or two of them were always me checking to make sure it worked. And one of them was my mom checking to see what I was up to. And so I just wasn't (laughs) getting the views I was looking for. I was really trying to help teachers. And I was like, they're not seeing this. I'm putting it on Twitter. putting it on my website and it's just not getting discovered and it's not getting watched. And so I, I came to a realization one day I was sitting at, at a doctor's office waiting for a doctor's appointment to start in the, in the lobby. And I was thumbing through Facebook on my phone, just kind of mindlessly looking at things. And I found myself get kind of caught up in this uh, video, this um, soundless video of how to cook tater tot casserole. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with tater tot casserole over there across across the sea. No. But you know, it's a it's a it's a, it's a meat and, meat and cheese dish with with potatoes on top, tater tots on top. Um, and so I was watching this video on how to do it. I don't know why I spent so much time watching how to do it. And thirty seconds passed, forty five seconds passed, and now I knew the recipe. I don't know why I watched. And so I thought about it. And I, why was I even watching that? I don't even do the cooking in our house. Why did I care? And I realized what happened was, is it played automatically. I didn't have a choice as to whether I could play or not. It didn't require me to plug in my headphones to listen to it. And it was well-made, so it just caught my attention. Even though it wasn't relevant to me, it just caught my attention. So that's what I said. So that's what my videos are lacking. I'm forcing the people to click on the link to get to the video, and then I'm forcing them to plug in their headphones to listen to it or be in a place where they could listen. And so screencasts weren't working for me in that situation. Plus, people prefer their information in such bite-sized chunks nowadays. And I said, I need things that are short, 
don't necessarily require audio and capture people's attention quickly. And that's when I realized that Camtasia, the screencast I was making, I actually had the option to export them as GIFs. And I said, well, heck, let's try this out. So for one of those screencasts, I just edited a chunk of it into a GIF, posted it on Twitter, and people went nuts for it. And so I realized I, I had kind of hacked that, that little problem that I had there of getting people just to get interested. Watch, the content was good enough. I just had to get them started. And a GIF did that because it automatically played for them. That's cool. I literally just created a screencast and put it out this week. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. too, too, late, too late on that one. <laughs> you know, and it, it, the thing about screencasts is I'll, I'll still use them in certain situations. If I, if I need to explain something that's it's a longer form thing or if it's part of a course or if I need to show my students or the teachers that I, that I coach how to do something that's going to take me more than 30 seconds, a screencast is still a totally relevant thing. It's just that the buy I was losing though. I didn't have the buy-in. Yeah. You've got to get that buy-in to click that video. Like you guys recently had Eric Kurtz on the show. And if Eric Kurtz puts out a video and I see a link to it, I'm like, that's Eric Kurtz. It's going to be gold. I'm going to click on it and watch it. But I was somebody that people didn't even know. And so I, I, I didn't have that buy-in from the viewers yet. And a, and a gift gives me that. But then also in, in the classroom, if I stick that say in a hyper doc, like instructions for how to do something, same thing with buy-in here the students yeah, yeah. they would click on a youtuber's video mm -hmm. like if it's a pewdiepie guy they would click on that video and watch it but they're not going to click on mr miller's video so if it's a gift that's short and sweet and goes quickly then they're more more uh, likely to watch it i don't have to really try to force them to watch it it just grabs their attention yeah i love the idea of, of getting rid of the barriers um right and i think it's something that we we've got to remind when you when we're putting out content uh, like like we all are here in in this chat Something that we've, we've always got to be mindful of, I think. Like how how are our viewers, our listeners, going to going to access it, and what's going to make what's going to make it easiest for them? And kind of on that note, you are you're a fellow podcast host, and um, yeah. on your your own podcast, you've had some amazing guests, and uh, it's great just to talk to a to a fellow podcast host. Yeah, it's called your podcast called the Educational Duct Tape. Could you just tell us why it's called that? Yeah, so it actually kind of partially came out of that whole tater tot casserole and edu gifts situation. I realized that what I had done was I had kind of assessed my situation and thought about my goal and realized that my goal was to get people to watch these tips. And my situation was that they weren't willing to click on the videos and watch them. So I found a way, I found a tool that I was aware of, which was GIFs and Camtasia. I found a tool that solved the problem for me. And then in another situation, I had another situation involving duct tape. And I realized, gosh, I wasn't planning on using duct tape today, but it solved this problem that I had perfectly. It was my, my kid's bounce house. It had a hole in it and it, it was deflating and they couldn't play in it. So I used duct tape to patch the hole. I, and I said, this is, this is the way educational technology works in the classroom or should work. You know, oftentimes yeah. teachers go into the classroom and they're like, today I'm going to use Flipgrid. And you're like, well, what are you teaching? Like, I don't even know. I don't know what the content is, but I'm using Flipgrid and they're, they're, they've got it backwards. Yeah. And so educational duct tape is my theory that you should, that educational technology is that it's most useful when it's a tool that you're using to solve the problem or meet a goal or address a learning standard or address a need uh, rather than as the actual end goal itself. So you, in, unless you're in like a specific technology course, the, the technology itself shouldn't be the goal. It should be a vehicle that you use to get to those goals. And so that's educational duct tape. So that's the same way duct tape works. You never wake up in the morning thinking, today I'm going to use duct tape. You get up in the morning thinking, I'm, I'm going to address whatever problems and needs and goals I have. And if duct tape happens to be the tool that addresses some of them, well, then great. You take out your duct tape and you address the problem with it. 
it, it absolutely makes sense, and I love listening to you to your uh, to your podcast. By the way, um, and and I also love the fact that you get loads of cool people on it. Um, some some of our some of our we've had uh, Matt Miller on previously, yep. and uh, and Casey and and, and Eric, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Any highlights? Any any things that you've that you've loved? Uh, or people that you've, I know you're going to love everybody. You can't, you can't obviously pick anything out, but in terms of your podcast, any highlights? You know, one, one of my favorite things about the podcast, aside from the guests, guests themselves, is actually hearing from the teachers that are listening to it. Because I'll hear from them on Twitter. They'll send me pictures of their students doing something in class that they thought of after listening to the podcast. And those are the real highlights to me is when, when a teacher sends like, hey, I've, I've got this unit that I've been doing on antarctica or, or penguins or something like that and i never really knew how to spice it up but then i listened to your episode where you talked about virtual field trips and global learning and i said oh my gosh why don't i talk to a scientist in antarctica or something and they get these ideas and then they show me these pictures of their students connected with a scientist on a google hangout or their students making uh, stop motion with google slides or their students doing something really cool in flipgrid that they hadn't thought of until they listened to it. So that that's what excites excites me. Really. Yeah, that's cool. So looking at your day job, uh, I suppose that your title is tech integration specialist, which sounds quite similar to right. my job at Leeds City College, but um, and, and in line with some of the staff I have. Um, so what would you say? What is the best part of your job? The best part of what you do? You know, it's it's similar to to that. Is it's the same stuff that happens with the teachers in the classrooms. So. I work at a middle school, a sixth through eighth grade school, and my I don't have like a class schedule. I, I do work with students during certain periods of the day, but really my goal and my kind of job responsibilities is to engage with the teachers and facilitate them uh, growing as technology integration uh, educators whenever possible. So if a teacher comes to me and they say, I've got this lesson that I'm not feeling really great about, or I've got this issue where I can't quite figure out how to get my, my students to grasp this one topic, what can I do? You know, that's where I could step in and say, well, we could use this technology. And then I could train the, the teacher up on how to use it and then get in the classroom with them and co-teach how, how they do that. So side by side, they're the, the content area expert and I'm the technology expert. And the goal is that by the end of the day working with them, they also have some expertise in that certain piece of technology. And that's, that's what's exciting is not just when I see the students getting used technology that they wouldn't use otherwise, but when I'm seeing the teacher start to feel confident by the end of a, a day of school in using, you know, Flipgrid or, or Wakelet or Google, Google Drawings or whatever tool it might be when the teacher walks away thinking like, hey, I got this next period. You can go, you know, what you need to do because I, I can do this myself now. That That's what's exciting in that kind of role. That's cool. And we know you've been blogging constantly uh, for a number of years as well, which is something we mm-hmm. try to do uh, every week. We try and get three pieces out. How do you stay current um, and find so much new stuff to talk about? I just realized as I'm reading that question, it sounds like we've got you on to be a bit of a consultant for our for our website here. <laughs> Can you just give us all the tips that makes you successful, Jake? <laughs> Don't, tell Don't tell everybody. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll send over the invoice. Later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I find find that with my blog I try I try not to pigeon my, whole, my pigeonhole myself into any one subject I try not to be 
the guy who only blogs about Google or the guy who only blogs about gifts or the guy who's only spreadsheets. I try to just whatever resonates to me at a given moment. I think if this is if this is exciting me, then it's going to excite other people out there. So then the only missing part is discovering that stuff that I could blog about. Right. So so I've got to have those channels that are incoming to me. And it, and it gets challenging, like in my situation with the podcast and with my blog and with my Twitter, it's it's tempting to just spend all my time with social media, seeing what people are saying to me and how they're reacting to my posts and things like that, and not then go um, consume other people's content. But that's such an important part. So I've got to follow guys like Matt Miller, who we talked about being on the show, or Eric Kurtz, who we talked about being on the show, and all these other people, and see what they're saying, and then have those like ahas when I see that, right? And then I can go and apply that to my practice and maybe think of something in a, in a different spin or pivot on a topic. And then I'm like, well, there's a, there's a blog post right there. There's a gift that I can make. There's something I could share on my site that, that I find exciting that I think somebody else will. It also comes in sometimes just when I'm talking to a teacher, whether it's in, in my day job at the school I work at or at a conference or on Twitter. And I realize maybe something that they weren't familiar with that I, I, I was surprised by or something that I taught them or showed them that they were excited about. And I go, well, you know, if this is new to you, you know, maybe it's new to everybody else out there. So I think I should go and blog about it. So it's just kind of staying in the trenches and realizing what is resonating to people, whether it's yourself or the other professionals. And then when you feel it resonate, you go like, well, I should share this. Right. And that, that's the really 21st mindset. 21st century mindset is saying we should share the things that we think are exciting and resonate with us. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. I, I find myself sometimes going off all over the show, like I'd be doing one thing and then the next thing, and I'm supposed to be doing a series, and then I've I've got an idea, so I don't do a series. Um, right. What, what, one of the things that um, when we've when we've done some research about things that are in the US, one of the things that I know that you have been involved with is schoolology, or mm-hmm. schoology, schoology. Is that you say it's schoology? Um, schoology, yeah. It's not. It's not big in the UK space, um, but it, it's obviously quite big in the in the US. What? What? Could you tell us a little bit about that and uh, maybe how it's different to other um, similar platforms? Right. So schoology. Very big here either. I mean, it's it's probably it might be the second biggest course management system and learning management system out there uh, in the K to 12 schools. Um, But I wouldn't say it's very big. Google and Google Classroom really just dominates in in that. Right. Uh, Where I became exposed to Google. I'm sorry, to Schoology was uh, four years ago when I started at the district that I'm currently at now. And they had already adopted it before I came in there. So I kind of learned it on the fly to use it. Um, it is a learning management system. It's it's more robust than Google Classroom. That doesn't necessarily mean it's better than Google Classroom. And I don't mean that to say that it's worse than Google Classroom either. It's just, it's just it's just different. It has things that Classroom doesn't have, and Classroom has things that it doesn't have. And Classroom, you know, the way Google is, they tend to be Google's very lean with the way they make things. Like they they just work, and there's not a whole lot of steps to take to do things. And sometimes in Schoology, they, there are a little bit more steps, but oftentimes it's because they were more robust of a tool. Um, so Schoology is is free and paid. Uh, so, you know, any teacher could just go and create a Schoology account right now and have their students create Schoology accounts and connect to them and have a class with them. Um, but then there's also the paid version for a whole school district or school building to be enterprise, and then they can manage all of the student accounts in there and have all of their classes created automatically from a um, 
student information system or scheduling system, uh, bring in parents to have accounts where they could see things and, and operate kind of in, in little parent discussion groups and things like that. Um, and it, it's just nice that it has a lot of extra features. We actually don't use it in our school district now uh, because we were using it just in the sixth through eighth grade building and the K to five wasn't using it and the nine to 12 wasn't using it. So the decision was made to do something K to 12, which the decision was classroom. And the reason was for, for costs. Um, but th there are definitely benefits to, to Schoology. I, I really think it's about how you use the tool, not which tool it is. And that's yeah, yeah. when we had the long discussions, I was kind of like, listen, you know, it's whether we go with classroom or Schoology, as long as we're doing what we know is pedagogically best for kids, it's, it's not going to matter which one it is. Like there are going to be conveniences and inconveniences to each, but you know, it's about, it's about what the learning that's taking place, not the tool we're using. I, I totally agree. I think it's about embedding it. And uh, I think we could go on and I think we could go off into so many different tangents and offshoots and uh, I'd love to be able to chat all night. But I think mm -hmm. um, we're going to have to wrap it up there and just say it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, somebody that I've followed on Twitter for a long time. Uh, and um, yeah, thank you a lot uh, for coming on to the podcast and, uh, and hopefully we'll do it again soon. Are you fanboying there, Steve? hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, same here guys. I appreciate it. I love listening to your show. So I, the feeling is mutual here. Thanks Jake. Cool. Cheers, Matt. Yes. Yep. Thanks so much guys. Fantastic to have Jake Miller. Go check out his podcast if you can. Uh, don't forget, we've got the Summit 2019, the Futurist Summit happening in Lancashire in the north of England on the 12th of July 2019 coming up. So get on the website edgyfuturist.com forward slash summit19 to find out about that and to book on. Uh, as always, contact us on Twitter at edgyfuturists and facebook.com forward slash edgyfuturists. Website www.edgyfuturist.com, everything on there that you, you could need, and find out all about us and what we do. Uh, our email is edgyfuturist at gmail.com. It's been a cracker, another one, another one bites of dust. Well done, everybody. Enjoy the duct tape, Steve. <laughs> <laughs>